Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. I have SMA Type 2, and I am a columnist and forums director for smanewstoday.com. Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. And today we have also with me fellow SMA News Today contributor, Michael Morale. Uh, you, of course, know Michael from his YouTube videos and from this podcast. So, Michael, great to have you today. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Absolutely. And we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, so we have uh, with us a medical professional who is actually one of my former longtime uh, doctors, uh, Dr. Edward Smith from Hillsborough, North Carolina. Uh, he was my neurologist for well over a decade. And I've come to terms that he left me, you know, like, I mean, uh, I've forgiven him somewhat, but he's now doing a private practice. And so we'll talk about that. But um, but Dr. Smith, thank you so much for coming on today. Great to be here, Kevin. Thank you for inviting me. And I, I was trying to remember while you were talking when we actually met. And was it actually over a decade ago? It was over a decade because I think, like, if I'm not mistaken, 2011 was the first year I sorry, wait, yeah. wait, wait, which will tell a conference story from that year at the end of the episode, um, because that has to be out there. Uh, but no, because I remember, like, I know it was that conference in Orlando in 2011, um, and we had already met at that point. But no, it, it was around that time. So yeah, it was definitely over a decade. I was in high school. Uh, so yeah, we go way back here. Well, how come I'm getting gray and you're not? Uh, I don't know. I said, well, I just turned 30. I don't know. It'll It'll happen soon enough. You don't dye your beard, do you? Nah. <laughs> nah. I mean, I, I really don't like do any kind of like maintenance there. I probably should, but yeah. Well, and we'll get into it. You know, I guess I, I'm sorry I left you, Kevin. I didn't mean to leave you, but I did leave you with uh, a very good doctor who's actually younger, smarter, and funnier than I am. So that wasn't a bad trade off, right? No, I'm actually, I have my upcoming clinic appointment and, um, no, I know we're in yeah. good hands. I said to mess with yeah. me there, but yeah. So give her, but give her a chance. <laughs> I will. Oh no, I will. Right. Oh, for awesome. sure. But yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Um, Smith, to get get it started, can you tell us just a little bit about your career and how you got involved working with the SMA community? Sure. I, I'll just I'll go back to um, after medical school. I'll go before that. I was a late I was a late bloomer in terms of medical school. I started medical school in my late twenties, and that's a whole other story. But um, I, uh, uh, went to medical, I'm from Mississippi. So I went to medical school at the university of Mississippi and then did a pediatrics residency there, uh, and decided during that residency that I wanted to go into neurology and, um, and specifically pediatric neurology and, uh, came up to North Carolina and interviewed at Duke and UNC. And I, I'm a, I'm a UNC alum, so I didn't think there was any way in the world I was going to ever go to Duke for anything. Um. Uh, but I did, and I'm glad I did. It was an, it was a great decision at the, at the time, and uh, so I started at Duke in 2004 as a neurology resident, pediatric neurology resident, and then uh, after three years of that, did a, what's called a neuromuscular medicine fellowship. So neuromuscular medicine is a subspecialty in neurology that, as the name implies, you you uh, diagnose and treat. Uh, neuromuscular conditions, so peripheral nerve and muscle disease, so spinal muscular atrophies under that umbrella, as are muscular dystrophies, and and so not so much brain and spinal cord or central nervous yeah. system uh, conditions. 
Although when I, you know, when I started at Duke, I was doing all of that. Um, uh, but over time was able to get more and more focused on, on neuromuscular uh, uh, clinics. And, and then um, I guess, you know, one thing I hope that I, I left, uh, you know, I, I parted from Duke uh, this past summer um, at the end of June. Um, one of the things that I'm, I did uh, in my life that I feel happy about is, is uh, um, starting the, uh, the pediatric neuromuscular program. And I know you're not a kid anymore, Kevin, but you remember this transition. Um, we had a model like a lot of places, academic medical centers that combined pediatric and adult care in, in, in an MDA clinic or a or multidisciplinary neuromuscular clinic. And for a number of reasons, I wanted to um, split off and, and, and have a pediatric version of that and separate from the adult clinic. And I did that on, on really good terms. I mean, we, we've all collaborated yeah. over the years and, um, and a lot of my adult patients, <laughs> my adult patients, including you, followed me over to the kids' clinic. So, um, and I think that was for continuity of care, right? I mean, we, we, you, know, you had a pulmonologist who we all know very well uh, for years uh, and, and, and a physical therapist and other people who had been on your care team. Um, and this was just an attempt, and I think it was successful, an attempt to really create a multidisciplinary clinic so that a patient with SMA, for instance, could come in and spend half a day with us on a Friday, either the morning or the afternoon, four hours-ish, uh, and see everybody, meaning the, the right. pulmonologist, do pulmonary function testing, see me for better or for worse, see our physical, and not just see our physical and occupational therapist, but you know, you can attest to spend a good amount of time with them. Uh, um, uh, so these are what therapists who know something about SMA um, and and social worker, dietitian, um, not so important for SMA, but we have cardiologists in that clinic. And, and so uh, so to wrap that all into four hours um, in one location, you know, with a with a ramp and a, a hallway and no everything on one level, I thought was a much it's burdensome enough with everything SMA patients have to deal with. Uh, you, you don't want the care to be any more of a burden than it has to be. And that was one yeah. of the big drivers behind behind doing that. So so anyway, I, I finished my fellowship in 2007 and, and was uh, started as a faculty member uh, back then. So years before I met you. And then um, gradually just kind of built that program in, in, in parallel with that. Um, right around fellowship time um, or finishing up fellowship, I did my first clinical trial and that was in SMA. It was called the Carnival One trial. And that was looking at carnitine plus valproic acid or Depakote in type one SMA patients. Uh, and so I cut my teeth on, on, on that trial and didn't look back. I mean, it's a, a, subsequent to that, you know, every year we, I'd start taking on raising my hand saying, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll be a site for this or that trial. And in SMA, we've been involved in numerous trials. I won't go into them all, but we were involved in the, in, in the news and Nursen program. We were involved in the Zolgensma program. Um, you know, we are, um, although after I left, but we, I was going to be involved in the, in the Biohaven uh, program and and we could talk more about all those if you wish later. But, but um, so that kind of gets us up to June of 2023, uh -huh. and I made a very difficult decision uh, back in the fall prior to that uh -huh. to to part ways with with Duke, um, mainly 
for a number of reasons, but one of the big reasons was I found it just really unnecessarily difficult to run clinical trials. It, it was very slow, very expensive, very inefficient. Uh, and there are a whole host of reasons for that. It, some of it's just trying to do something like that at a big institution. Um, so so that was one reason. There were multiple others. But but anyway, that was a really difficult decision. And I was fortunate uh, to find um, another doctor who was coming out of fellowship uh, in at the University of Rochester, trained by a wonderful group up there and a good SMA group. Um, uh, who uh, was looking to move to the area and did not run away when I said, you sure you can come down. You're just not going to be working with me. You're going to be working instead of mm-hmm. me and here are the keys to the shop you know, and buy. So, so she was, she was good enough to accept it and, and, and uh, the job, the position and, and is, is, uh, is going to do a great, great job with the program. I, I, I know she is. And I'm, I'm still on uh, very close to that program and the people mm-hmm. who run it, and and we talk on a weekly basis, uh, trying to help with the transition. I think one of the hardest things, Kevin, about leaving was um, uh, that um, so many patients and families um, in this in this area, there's so many unknowns. You know, there there are things that are known. You kind of know something about natural history and and, and mm-hmm. without a treatment or treatments, here's what to expect. But even with these treatments, uh, news and Erzin or others, you know, you're still an individual patient and you, you, you know what the data show for a larger group, but you know, what, what where am I going to be in five years or, or 10 years? And those are, those are, those are pretty much unknowns. And, and so many other things that are unknown, um, newly diagnosed families, so many unknowns. Um, and I, I felt I felt bad about leaving because um, there are uh, there was one known. I mean, it was, it, you know, every six months or so you're going to come and do see me for better, for worse. You know, a doctor who knew something or knows something about SMA, um, a doctor who knows my child or, or you, you know, the patient. Uh, you don't have to go through everything again and get them up to speed. And 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 so that was maybe something to hold on to that was that was a little bit firm and and uh hopefully reassuring in some way somebody who would advocate for you if you needed a a camp form sign or just anything or just uh-huh. talk so that was hard pull i felt like i was pulling the rug out from under um my my, my patients and families and and um but 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 the flip side of that is that that you know i found a very good call her a replacement. She's going to yeah. be more than a replacement. And the, and the, so our clinic program will continue to thrive. It will thrive mm-hmm. probably way better than it did under me. By the, um, and, and, um, uh, and so will the clinical research. So, so Duke Children's will continue uh, to have a very strong pediatric neuromuscular program where they also see many adult SMA patients um, and, and be involved in clinical, in clinical research and involved with cure. SMA very tightly and and very actively and and so I'm I'm happy I'm happy about that so I think it's in the long run it's all um, it's all for the best and I'm happy to tell you later a little bit more about what I'm doing the specifics but yeah. um but that's kind of that's my I guess in a giant nutshell um, my 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 career and how I got to where I am now um, um, and it's been a it's been a wonderful ride there's been ups right. and downs. Uh, just like for you and everybody else in the SMA community with 
lots of up, up, up talking about these treatments and then they're not pan out, not panning out. But think about, think about where we were prior to 2016 uh -huh. and, and where we are now, you know, um, it's just, it's unbelievable to me. I, um, of course, a family that has a recently or newly diagnosed child, they, they don't have that perspective. And, 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 and that child's now being born into a world where type one SMA, if you treat it early enough, it's very possible that that baby may even have normal motor to type mm. one as it yeah. may even have normal motor development. If you can, if you can begin or, or offer a treatment pre pre symptomatically. So very, very different, as you know, very different world now in a very, in a very good way for, for SMA, but there's work oh, to I'm, do. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And well, on that note, Michael, I want to hand it over to you to talk more about like your experiences with Raza and, um, and ask questions there. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Uh, Dr. Smith, first off, thank you for joining us today. These these podcasts, I believe, and I, I know Kevin believes, uh, offer the SMA community some great information, but, you know, on clinical trials, updates. Uh, we really try to focus on the positives because before 2017, or actually before December of 2016, we didn't have anything to really clamp our teeth around and be positive about. So um, I've been on Spinraza for the past seven years. Took me about nine months to get started because everything was new. You know, the, the hospitals were still going through the procedures of being labeled as a dosing uh, hospital or clinic. And um, I've, I've been really happy with Spinraza. I actually went on at RISD for a little while when it became available just to see what would happen. But I had some GI issues around that and I couldn't get over those. So I went back to Spinraza. And while I'm still getting worse, I'm not getting as worse as fast, if that makes yeah. sense. So yeah. there are a lot of positives around the various treatments that we have. Um, again, I've got SMA type three, been on Spinraza for the past seven years, going on eight years. When working with SMA patients, how do you help them in terms of pursuing other treatment options or different options? Well, I mean, I've always looked at it like this. The, 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 uh, again, it's an interesting new world to, to be able to talk about treatment options outside of supportive care, right, and, and, and SMA, which is also extremely important. Um, I don't generally lean or push one over the other. I, I don't think that of the three big ones that we have, um, I don't I don't see a major difference among them in terms of efficacy. Now, you you just mentioned your experience and and that's where it's important is is when we're sitting across from each other in clinic and you say, you know what, we made this switch and here's what I've noticed and it's not good, you know. Um, but I have tried to make options available and give my honest opinion, which I kind of just told you, uh, at least on the efficacy side, uh, and 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 let the patient and, or, or family uh, make the decision. That, that's with any any treatment. It's always that that's always the way I've approached. I mean, some people say, "Well, you're the doctor; you need to tell them what to do." And I was like, "Well, that I don't know. I don't even go through life like that. So I wouldn't want my doctor. I want my doctor to give me some choices uh, and give an honest opinion on them. 
does does Olgensma have a, a riskier side effect? Pro yeah, it does. But but you know that's early on, and and I think then then that wanes, and and you know for some families maybe it would be advantageous to to have a, a one dose you know drug versus or an oral drug or or you know every four months intrathecal. So so it, it it's it, it's just an it's an unusual spot to be in where now the dilemma is. Uh, which drug do we choose? <laughs> you know, right. I mean, right. who would have thought? Who would have thought that? You know, back back in 20, 2012, or Kevin when we met. You know, just a lot of vague talk about what's mm. in the pipeline and coming. And when is it coming? When is it coming? And and so, um, I, I think that's just a process, Michael. That that that, that you uh, that you partner with with the patient or family on and. And um, and just try to be be on, be honest about it all. But I I don't I can't say I favor one uh, one 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 of those three treatments over the other. Um, I've had you know the story you told. I've heard stories in the other direction as well. And 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 uh, or yours was GI, but in terms of efficacy, uh, you know, a patient who felt like they could do something now new on a different drug that they couldn't do when they were on the prior drug. Um, so. So that's it. I mean, I think it's about giving information, giving an honest assessment of that, um, um, being humble and and, and remembering that these are new drugs. It's news and earth. Spinraz is still new in the world of drugs, right? And 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 we have a lot to learn, especially in sort of long term outcomes for more slip. Yeah, or even yeah, long term outcomes. You know what? Um, how are how are how are the Patients who've noticed the benefit in the first three years, you know, how are they doing long term? And and you brought up a really important concept um, that you you you're not getting stronger, but you're you're getting weaker more slowly. So you feel like nuzinurzin, and 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 this is the case with some with other with the other drugs as well, and many patients that we're slowing the, they're able to slow the progression of the disease. Right. And, and, and so in that sense, they're not a cure and nor do we think they could be because all those motor neurons that you or Kevin have lost, these treatments don't bring those back. Right. Right. You're you're working with what you've got and trying to preserve those neurons, uh, those motor neurons and, and their function. So, uh, be great if we could get to the point where we had something that totally halted the progression of the disease. Exactly. Um, yes. But that's where, you know, that's where these other, if you want to call them add on therapies come in potentially and right. a lot of, a lot of buzz about um, the anti-myostatin approach, which we can talk about and three programs are active there. Uh, there's a, another one that targets the neuromuscular junction where that motor nerve, the end of it meets the muscle. And, and and trying to help with getting the signal the signal across to the muscle uh, so so in that sense you know um you know, it, we don't have a cure um but it's, it's it, it, but i think you know i hate to say it, but i think we approach that um with newborn screening now and which doesn't help you or kevin but but with newborn screening now and being able to treat very early on, and 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 while the motor neuron population is still relatively relatively robust and big and, and responsive to the treatment, so 
Um, so anyway, I'm, that's a long-winded answer to your short question, but but that's no, that's, great. that's my approach to sort of discussing discussing treatment options uh, with right. folks. Same same thing with clinical trials as well. It's like these are the ones that are out there, and here's here's what I think. I'm not going to generally raise my hand and sign up for a trial that I don't think has uh, that, that I think has a potential to cause more harm than good or, you know, right. and, and I mean, honestly, those don't usually come across my, my desk either. So, or, or they're not given FDA approval to move forward. So, right. so, um, so that's, I, I guess that's how I'd answer that, Michael. Yeah. I think, you know, there was a lot of, misconception or maybe not a great understanding within the SMA community when Spinraza uh, became available because, you know, we were all hoping that, you know, hey, if I lost the ability to feed myself, I'm going to have the ability to do that. And I listened to an interview for a young man, I believe he lived in Arizona, and uh, a, a television station was interviewing him. He was the first patient to take uh, to start on uh, Spinraza. And he said his doctor told him that in a year he would be up and ambulatory and, and able to walk. And I, I think a lot of us thought we would get stronger, but we've come to the realization that these type of treatments are not going to reverse damage it's already done, that it's gonna slow or stop the progression. That's why me personally, I think more and more pharmaceutical companies will now start targeting um, muscle therapies because we've already got Spinraza, we've already got Everisti, we've got Zolgensma for the you know younger uh, population. So hopefully, I would say in the next couple of years, we're going to see something revolutionary. That's just my belief. That's my hopes and prayers is that if I can gain the ability to feed myself again, you know, I know I'm not going to get up and walk. There has to be reality has to play a part in this. But there yeah. is there is so much more hope on the horizon than there was, you know, eight years ago. So I'm I'm super yeah. excited. Yeah, I, I hear you. the um. Yeah, so it's um again. I mean, imagine being a family with a newborn now with with SMA and being told. Uh, it's got SMA without a treatment. This is what we think would happen with the treatment tomorrow uh, or the next day. Um, this is what we would expect to happen. That's where what that doctor said, which they never should have said, but what that doctor said, if they actually said it like that, um, is actually a realistic expectation and right. And, and early on in, in, in newborn population, but, but I don't think, um, you know, I, I, the data that we had back when 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 Spinraza was approved was in, in younger, you know, in younger patients and certainly didn't have like much uh, older type two or type three data. And and I, I think that a lot of what I've done in the past five, six, seven years in clinic is manage expectations. So, 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 um, and just try to be realistic on, on, on these trees. And to be fair, I mean, you know, everybody hopes for the best and, 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 and there's always going to be somebody who posts something about, look, I can, I can bring my hand to my mouth, you know, and they probably, probably can. I mean, I had a patient who said he could now take his shirt off, uh, and uh, independently and couldn't do that. That's a big deal. 
um, that that's a new skill, but it's, I think that's generally the exception, Michael, not the rule. And, and so right. I prefer to, I always prefer to discuss it in terms of a spectrum, you know, and, and this is the least likely, this is the most likely right. probably going to be probably going to be somewhere in between and, and continuing to get weaker, but, but at a slower pace is still a win. I mean, that's oh, a good it is, thing. Definitely. That's a good thing. And it doesn't mean that you're getting weaker. doesn't mean the drug isn't working. Uh, it's just, it gets tricky in clinic where Dr. Smith is sitting across from Mr. Schaefer here and, and, um, and, you know, and, and Kevin feels like, yeah, it helps me. And, and, and in this way and that way, and you don't have a clone, thank God of Kevin, who's on, <laughs> that would be who's that terrifying, who's, who's untreated to compare to, right. That, that's what these placebo control, try, but those are limited numbers. So we, we, for good reason, I think, you know, and, 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 and we, we, we just assume that with this treatment, whether it's Benraza or, or Everisd or whatever, um, it, that's your best chance in 2023 of slowing the progression to some degree and, 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 and at a, at a, at relatively little risk. I mean, Kevin, you've been getting, you must've had 25, 26 injections now. I don't know. Um, it's all under, and, it's closer to 20, but yeah, but I've been, 20, been about the same time. as I started November, 2017. So yeah. it's around there yeah. a little over time. And, and, you know, knock on wood, but I mean, I, I can't, um, I, I don't think of that drug or ever is for that matter as, as, as a, as a risky drug i mean I, the i think the bigger risk with spinraz is probably related to the procedure of giving it and not necessarily the drug itself but so to have options that are relatively low risk uh, and can do what these drugs can do is is is, is amazing um just wish the cost wasn't what it is but but you know yeah that's our system oh that yeah that that would be nice but um but yeah well and on that note too you know we talked a little bit about upcoming therapies and the possibility of combined therapies as well. What can you yeah. tell us about that? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that um, uh, your foundational therapy is super expensive, whichever one it is. And then you're going to ask uh, payers like insurance to pay uh, for another one or possibly two super expensive drugs on yeah. top of that. And, and, and so I get it. I mean, you're going to have to show, you know, FDA will approve the drugs, but who's going to pay for them, right? So, so you know, a, a payer like a Blue Cross Blue Shield or whoever, United Healthcare, you know, I would imagine they're going to want to see good data that adding this add-on therapy to Nusenersen or 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 Zolgensma or, or, or Everisd has a, a meaningful impact or a like a good likelihood of having a meaningful positive impact above and beyond uh, that foundational treatment. And, and so that's, you know, that is what we're seeing in terms of trials of course, you know, the, the three myostatin programs, um, you know, uh, scholar rock biohaven and Roche are all looking at their drug on top of one of these other drugs. Right. And, and so, so you can imagine too that now your um, your the the ability to show a benefit uh, that bar is higher 
than it would be in an untreated yeah. patient, right? Yeah. In a in a in a non-spinraza treated patient. So so that makes it harder on their end, you know, to show up to show a benefit. Um, but I think that's what's that, that's the way you've got to do it, mm-hmm. um, unless you unless you're trying to target um, a population of patients that just don't have access to spinraza or Zoljin, you know, and and say here, but you know, but, but I don't think that population really exists because uh, all yeah. these drugs are just probably similar price range. Um, you know, Zolgensma, everybody knows how expensive that is, um, but over time. News and is more expensive than Zolgensma. So, you know, when you, when you add it up. So, um, so I don't know, Kevin, it's, it, it's been a question uh-huh. I've had for a long time. Cause of course uh-huh. everybody talks about these combination therapies, but uh, it, they're only, they're only um, meaningful if you can get them, you know, FDA can prove things all day long, but if nobody's going to pay for it, you know, no patients are going to get it. So, and, and the companies aren't just going to give it for free. So it's on these companies to 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 show the efficacy uh, as an add-on as, as an add-on therapy and 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 provide uh, produce convincing evidence for that. No, that's great, and I mean I don't know with the work you're doing now, like you have like insight there, but yeah, it's just it's a topic being discussed at conferences, and uh, you know I, I think it's a time will tell for sure. Uh, but yeah, those are all factors that come well, into play. Yeah, and and Michael, you brought up a really good point. So uh, about muscle, you know, targeting muscle um, as a, you know, we so we've got three treatments that do a really good job in helping out the motor neuron, right? Um, um, so what else is in that neuromuscular uh, pathway? Well, there's the nerve, there's the motor neuron, there's the muscle that 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 motor neuron attaches to. Uh, and, and then there's that junction where it attaches the neuromuscular junction. And um, we know the neuromuscular junction is not normal in SMA. And we know the muscle is not normal. But unlike some other conditions that I, I treat or treated while I was still a clinician, um, like muscular dystrophies, um, SMA muscle is pretty much intact right i mean it, it it's not normal but it's not scarred and 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 ripped apart and damaged it's just not getting the juice it needs um, from the nerve and and you know how much of how many of those muscle fibers uh, can respond to Im- improve neuromuscular uh, junction transmission um, you know i don't know but but something would be better than nothing and if 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 you can sort of begin to address the motor neuron health with one of those treatments we've been talking about, and then in addition to that, come at the other angle of uh, is there something we can do that directly targets the muscle fibers that might make them larger or stronger? Uh, maybe when we combine those two, there'll be a synergy and 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 a, and a synergistic effect and more benefit. And so that's you know that's the idea with with these anti-myostatin approaches, um, uh, uh, which have been used before in other, you know, I was in a trial or or, um, was a principal investigator on a trial uh, run by Pfizer in in Duchenne muscular dystrophy patients and the long trial and they they were unable to show a a clear benefit um, from the anti-myostatin approach in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. 
what one reason for that might be, I don't know, but one reason for it might be that the muscle in that condition is, is, is so damaged that it, it really can't respond as well to a treatment like that as maybe SMA muscle could. And so we'll see. So we've got, uh, I mentioned the Scholar Rock and Roche and Roche and Biohaven all looking at this with, with similar, similar trials. And, um, and we'll see, but, but I'm hopeful that there'll be an additional benefit there so that, you know, a patient like you or like Michael, this would be potentially ideal for, for, for that situation where, where you might be able to um, gain some strength and who knows, even function or slow things down even, even, even more, you know, uh -huh. Uh -huh. push. I think a lot of this is about moving patients who are destined to be type one over to type two or type three or type twos over to type three or type threes over mm -hmm. type four and, and thinking of SMA more on a spectrum as opposed to these individual categories. So right, I, exactly. I'm not even sure what type one, type two type mean anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. With, with, mm -hmm. with these treatments. So it's more like, I think we focus more now on copy number of SMN two and what you might have been expected to fit into, but, but aren't anymore. So Good, good problem to have. No, for sure. And I think that's the thing we've talked about a lot in recent years is how just the landscape of SMA is changing. Uh, and and I think in addition to uh, treatments, it's also just like other areas of healthcare. And uh, Michael, I wanted to like hand over you to talk about, I mean, like both of us do uh, physical therapy, Ayahuasca, um, but that's another thing of like talking about holistic care and what that entails. So Michael, I just want to hand over you about that and um, how that correlates with, you know, your treatment journey. Yeah. You know, I, I started physical therapy not long after I started Spinraza. Uh, you know, we were always told not to do extensive physical therapy because we weren't on a treatment. And we would eventually get weaker by doing all that. But once I started on it, it, it really changed. Me. Oh, wait, Michael, you muted. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. No um, worries. So, mm -hmm. When I started physical therapy, uh, even even my um, even my therapist uh, were not really sure what SMA was. They had to go yeah. out and actually learn about it. And I've been with a physical therapist now for seven years, and I've been using the same one for the past five years. And I can tell that I'm a little bit better with regards to my core strength. So, so anyway, it's. Um, to me, physical therapy is something that I really believe in. I speak at various colleges around the country to therapists that are about to graduate with their DPTs. And I try to introduce them to the world of SMA because, you know, in their studies, they may get a five minute lecture about SMA. So yeah. anyway, I, what are your thoughts about patients taking, S, uh, taking physical therapy? I know some doctors say, go for it. Some are a little bit more apprehensive about it. Oh, I'm a hundred, 150% in favor of it. I mean, the, I would never tell a family or a patient that, that doing physical therapy might worsen. So SMA is not a muscular dystrophy for instance, and I recommend PT and muscular, but you gotta be a little more cautious. I mean, you're not going to damage your muscle by doing physical therapy. You're not going to injure motor neurons by doing physical therapy. You're only going to potentially help your range of motion and, 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 and sort of, um, you know, how you compensate with movements. And, and, and so, uh, 
in my mind, there's absolutely no reason to tell anybody anything like that ever. So uh, that, that you need to be careful with PT or OT. So on the contrary, um, uh, I, you know, PT is wonderful, uh, but it's a burden in some ways. You got to get there. You got to get it paid. You got to get there. So it, if you can get there or have someone come to the house, great. I, I think uh, so. So that as a foundation, but then having a physical, if you're fortunate and having a physical and or occupational therapist who will really help you uh, with a home exercise plan or, or, or um, something that you can do on a daily basis uh, on your, you know, it takes a motivated, motivated patient. But because, um, uh, you know, once a week is better than nothing. But, I, you know, I, these are things that that are going to be more helpful if you can incorporate them on a daily basis. Exactly. Um, exactly. The other thing is like, um, you know, you guys um, um, and Michael, I don't, can't tell if you're in a wheel. Yeah. In a wheelchair. That So you guys know what these power chairs cost and, oh, yes. um, and how helpful they are, you know, but they're way too, just like everything is way too expensive. And you also know how hard and long it, the path can be to get. <laughs> or get one right, Kevin, or get it one replaced. Oh yes, um, we know all that yeah. too well. Yeah, yeah, no, but but if I one thing I always wished I could do was write a prescription for a swimming pool for every one of my patients. Right, and you could probably get a pool built for about what you know, a, 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 you know, a, a therapy pool or something. Get a pool built for for patients uh, for for about the cost of a wheelchair, I would think. Um, I don't know that many. I, I have no idea, but it can't be much more. Um, and aquatic therapy. And Kevin, I know you've done that for a long time. You could speak yeah. as an expert expert on that. But holy cow, man, getting rid of some of that gravity and and getting the resistance of the water, um, yeah. being semi upright, uh, being getting your body in a different position than it's normally in. Um, and and I just wish more folks have the ability to have something like that readily accessible and even at home, you know, where you could do it every, every day. So, yeah. so, um, so anyway, there's so many unmet needs and, 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 but that's, I, I, I used to say it jokingly, but it's no joke. I mean, I, I wish I could prescribe swimming pools uh, or, or, you know, therapy pools for everybody getting, because yeah. the other option is if you even have an option, it's often you've got to drive to another town, uh, and, yeah. and, you know, it's not, and they may or may not have some, a lift, you know, the right kind of lift or access to the pool and, and it, it just becomes an ordeal and you got enough to deal with. And so it falls by the side, right. And, 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 right. and, and doesn't get done. So I, you know, Michael, I, I guess that's how I would, um, explain that. And, and if y'all haven't had, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't had a SMA experience PT or OT on your podcast, and I'm sure you have. Yeah, uh, oh, I can yeah. recommend. I can recommend a few who who could who could give more insight into that. But um, but yeah, I would I would only see positive in in PT and or the only downside would be additional burden on you know on on, on right. accessing it and getting there or feeling guilty you know if you aren't able to do it or or, or miss miss a therapy session, and then also not all plans not all payers will pay. For much in, in terms of right. exactly and I, I think that's that's the frustrating thing is that we need these therapies you know we need our treatments and you know for a long time we were rejected for spinraza whenever it came out because insurance companies needed more information i know yeah. you had mentioned something about a swimming pool 
when I was about a year, year and a half old, my parents knew, you know, I wasn't reaching the milestones. They, they took me to a neurologist who examined me for maybe five minutes. And he turned around and he looked at my mom and dad and said, yeah, just take him home and let him enjoy the rest of his life and go ahead and start planning his funeral because he's yeah. got a neuromuscular disease. Well, my mother was redheaded and um, she, you know, when they say fiery redheads, you, you, you didn't were, you didn't really want to make her angry. So she found a daycare that had a swimming pool and she started teaching me how to swim. Yeah. And she, other parents saw what she was doing with me and they said, Hey, can you teach our kids? Well, we ended up building a pool in our backyard when I was, I was about four and a half, five years old. And I swam every day in the summer. I mean, it was a heated pool. My mother taught swimming out of our backyard because back then you could do that. And swimming really helped me with regards yeah. to range of motion and flexibility. After my spinal surgery, when I had my spine fused um, due to, um, you know, the curvature of the spine, I lost a lot of that flexibility and mm -hmm. I, I quit swimming. But, you know, I've been with the Sync Physical Therapist now for going on six years. She's fantastic. Her name is Emily. And she genuinely cares about my physical health. She's able to work with me one-on-one -on -one for an hour and, you know, the, the hard thing about physical therapy for SMA patients is the physical therapist basically has to do the exercise with you. You know, they can't yeah. say, do, uh, you know, yeah, here's a, here's a treadmill, start working. No, you can't do that. We can't stretch out on our own. And so I think a lot of physical therapists will start seeing more and more SMA patients in the future if they're if they're not already seeing them. So, um, yeah, and I hope I hope that I love physical therapy. And one thing that I was going to tell you was when I started physical therapy, my legs were about a negative, uh, what was it, like a negative forty eight degrees, which meant I was forty eight degrees from being able to straighten my legs out at the knees. Yeah, I'm now at like a negative fifteen or sixteen maybe wow. 17. So yeah. it's really helped. We do a lot of hip. That's better. That's better than me. Well, it's, <laughs> it, you know, I, I'm definitely better than a lot of SMA patients and other yeah. patients are probably better than me, but yeah. you know, physical therapy has just been a, a, a game changer for me. So I, yeah. I do greatly appreciate. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not yeah. surprised. I mean, I, I just, I wish there were a way to get more of it, you know, and, and I think that one of the things I think is um, if anything good came out of COVID, it, it, it forced us to use telemedicine as a, as a tool. And mm -hmm. it didn't force us. I think we as a physician community have always thought there'd be great advantage to that, but our institutions won't, wouldn't pay for it. You know, you gotta come to clinic. And, and, and so uh, and then COVID hit and all that, all that changed. And now it's unfortunately starting to change back, but um, uh, in, in terms of telemedicine. Um, but I, I mentioned earlier the, 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 the power of, of, of a, having a therapist who um, can prescribe a good home exercise plan. And, and I hear you, a lot of, a lot of your therapy almost all would be passive. You know, someone, moving a limb for you or, you know, so, so you need someone to help do that. But, 
you know, you could have guided there, there you could have guided tele tele PT a point, you know, where um, uh, or observed uh, uh, until they're ready to cut your caregiver loose and and have them do this on a daily basis. And you, I think you already do probably a lot of that. Maybe I don't know daily stretching and someone helps you with that. But but I'm sure there are ways to um, leverage PT, but remotely and, and OT for that matter to help bring that benefit and instead of once a week or, or twice a month or whatever, uh, to, to, uh, something you, you could do on a, on a more regular basis or, or maybe a lighter version of it, but, but something you could do every day and the PT could continue to follow you, uh, even do, um, you know, maybe like a monthly in-person check-in, uh, but in between then it's, it's remote. And, and, um, uh, so anyway, um, I'm a huge fan and always have been of PT and OT. And I think that's because I've been so close. I've worked so closely with so many good PTs and OTs over the years. And, and, right. uh, you know, and that was PT and OT were there way before news and nursing. Right. So, um, and, and, and so that's what we had. And we knew there were multiple benefits, not just physical, but psychological even to, to, to PT and, and a, a global sort oh. of therapeutic benefit. Yeah. And, even your relationship, as you describe your therapist, I mean, it's a it's a bond. It's a friendship. It, yes, it and, is. And, you know, yeah. I always tell people that my physical therapy is just as much mental therapy because yeah. I get out of the house. I, you know, I get to see Emily. I get to work with her. Um, you know, I know a lot about her. She probably knows more about me than most of my immediate family, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's what really makes it fun yeah. and keeps the patient interested. So. Anyway, Kevin. Well, I, yeah, no, I know this has been a great discussion. I know we've covered a lot of different topics here, and um, and Dr. Smith, I did want so just to wrap it up here. If you can just talk briefly a little about what you're doing now, and then also, if you don't mind, telling uh, our, our famous conference story from that first <laughs> back in 2011, I think that would be the perfect way to end this episode. If uh, you don't mind, I can't. Yeah, you kept coming to see me even after that debacle um oh it was hilarious oh. so yeah no i didn't think so uh so um okay sure i'll finish up with that but uh so uh, as i mentioned in the beginning of the podcast I, i'm not i'm not um employed at duke anymore after uh-huh. left after about close to 20 years when you, when you include my training uh which is my whole professional life um so that's what i did i was a pediatric neuromuscular person at, at, at duke so that was a that was a big deal and for me um and uh, so that ended June 30th, and then um, uh, starting July 1st, um, I guess not, not. So my new my new gig, my new title is medical director and principal investigator at RDRNC. So RDR stands for Rare Disease Research. Uh, and um, let me just give a real short background on, on where it came from. So there is a neuromuscular pediatric neuromuscular specialist in Atlanta uh, named Dr. Han Fan, P-H-A-N. And I've known Han for a long time. Um, and, and she was at Emory. So she she did what I did at Duke, but did it at Emory University and, and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta um, for many years and experienced some of the same frustrations that, that I was experiencing. And, and, and so it's not just, the, it, it, I think it's just a big sort of academic medical center yeah. bureaucracy yeah. issue. And and so um, she ultimately left uh, that position 
and started um, with just, I think, two studies uh, out of her husband's urgent care clinic in Atlanta. She, she was kind of squatting on one end of the clinic and had a few exam rooms there and took a couple of the trials that Emory didn't want. And um, I think they were Duchenne trials. And, and that was just five years ago or no. Yeah. Well, it was 2017. So it's just, I guess going on six years. Um, and, uh, and, and so she started this clinical trials site, a freestanding or independent clinical trial site dedicated to uh, running clinical trials in the pediatric rare disease field and more specifically neurological rare disease, and even more specifically an emphasis on neuromuscular disorders, but but all things neurological, but but with a with an emphasis on neuromuscular. Okay. And so that has grown tremendously over the past couple of years because they do such a good job. They 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 get their studies started so much faster, like within two months instead of a year, uh, which you know for Someone with SMA, for instance, a year is a long time. Um, two months is less long. You know, it's it's uh, um, you, you 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 know this very well, Kevin. How we talk 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 every six months about what's right. what's coming up or what's in the pipeline, and then wondering why is it taking so long? You know, mm-hmm. so 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 this allowed her to begin to address that at least what she could on her end, and 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 sort of speed things up. And also, I think, do a better job of just more efficiently running running clinical trials than than she could in her situation. Same thing with me. So, so she, Dr. Fannin, I think, heard that I I was leaving Duke, contacted me, asked me if I wanted to set up a similar site, but in North Carolina. And we talked a little bit, and I said, "Let's do it." So, so that's what we are. So, so there's the the original site is RDR in Atlanta. Um, and we have now um, established an RDR rare disease research NC for North Carolina site, uh-huh. actually in, in Hillsborough, and are partnering with local local people, local uh, um, entities for uh, to help us run these trials to get you know things like DEXA scans or or MRIs or or muscle biopsies and and uh-huh. so with local uh-huh. partners. And uh, so that's all coming together, and we hope to be starting up a few trials here within the next month or two, uh, and then quickly ramping up and, and taking on more trials uh, um, next year. Uh, she started with two, and I think they're running about 35 trials now at, at RDR in Atlanta with another 10 or so in startup. So you can you can see uh, how rapidly they're, they're just... A lot of trials out there that are promising, um, uh-huh, and uh-huh. I'm looking forward to being able to say yes to some of them, and 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 move forward with them. So that's that's what I'm doing now, uh, and I'm so happy because it, you know when I left, made the decision to leave Duke. This wasn't on my radar. Uh-huh, uh, she uh-huh. came to me after she heard. I, I think I told my wife. I said I'm gonna I want to start an oyster bar in Hillsboro where where we live, and she quickly said that was a terrible idea. <laughs> I said, but all my neighbors think it's a great idea. They said they'd come to my oyster bar. No, it's a bad idea. You think of something else. So, so anyway, that's where I am. That's what I'm doing. And, and, um, um, and, and it's here and right around the corner actually from my house, which is convenient. Um, so to finish up, oh my gosh, Kevin. All right. So, so this was the Cure SMA conference in 2011 in Orlando, right? So 2011 would have been 12, 12 years ago. A little more, yeah. like, more like 13 uh, or yeah, 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 okay. there. yeah, 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 but yeah. 
So my kids are now, my boys are now 20 and 20. My I'm terrible at math, but yeah. <laughs> 20 and 22. So the, the, the younger one was seven or eight, I guess. His name's Victor. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's always this um, evening where um, uh, at the QSMA conference where the, they have a, a wheelchair race where the the researchers you know the scientists the the physicians in my case um race in a manual wheelchair versus an sma patient in a, in a in a power chair okay um and i think probably for the however many years they had been doing that the sma patients have been undefeated right. pretty much so i in retrospect, it was my fault, but I didn't tell my seven-year-old not to turn on the gas, and he was out there to win, and we sure as hell won and beat a little type two patient. Came across the finish line well before, well before she did. And the way I remember, I don't remember anybody thinking it was funny, Kevin. I remember it's hilarious hearing, now, but yeah, I, I remember hearing audible gasps. <laughs> And I'm like, oh no, we didn't just do that. And we did. And I kid you not, I was, I avoided that conference for two years after that because I felt so ashamed. <laughs> and and then other people said, well, you know, um uh they were close and they know you were trying and your son was trying and 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 you won fair and square. Well, I guess that's one way to look at it, but um I hope it doesn't start a start a trend. So so anyway, I think I was gradually forgiven and have gradually forgiven myself and it certainly wasn't my what my son's fault but uh yeah it's funny now i agree with you kevin but <laughs> it is it it's not... one of the most i've had plenty of conference stories over the years but that's one i always go back to because it is a classic <laughs> well Jeez. maybe we can maybe we can race at the next one and i'll whoop you yeah we'll try yeah <laughs> hey go oh, i'll let you yeah he's, yeah he's he's 20 now he's not seven and he's fast oh he can move. oh definitely <laughs> okay. dr smith have you yeah. seen have you seen these new power chairs? Oh I my god. An, yeah. I honestly, honestly, I don't think an able-bodied person in a manual chair would even come close to beating what these power chairs can do. I was at the yeah. mall, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and this little kid zoomed by me in a chair yeah. that was and he was probably seven years old, eight years old. He was in yeah. a chair bigger, better, and faster than mine. And I'm like, wow, there's something wrong here. Because yeah. we never yeah. had a chair when we were kids that could go eight miles an hour. Yeah. Now, eight miles an hour, you think, oh, that's not too bad. Uh, that's that's fast. That's yeah. really fast. And I'm even uncomfortable driving at seven or eight miles an hour in this chair. And you I, know, I just got a new chair like Kevin. I've had it for three years, but I've had some you know, really bad tailbone issues. But... These, these chairs are amazing what they can do now. Well, and, you know, something else that's always amazed me is I wouldn't have believed it unless I had seen it. But um, what would, Michael, what would you think would be the youngest age at which a child could start independently running a power wheelchair? You know, it, it, it's actually funny that you asked me that. I met Kevin. I had been working with him for a couple of months. But we first met in Dallas when the conference was here in uh, here in the downtown Dallas area, and I remember seeing kids there that were probably what Kevin three or four years old. 
Oh, well, yeah, I've, I've got to meet them. Power uh, chairs. Yeah. Now, some of them were modified chairs, you know, kind of like a governor on it where they could only go so fast. Yeah, and they're not going to hurt, hurt themselves or anybody. But. Right, exactly. But um, no, I, I would say it would depend on the child. You what, know, what if, if the I, child... Yeah, 100%. But what if I told you, we, had, we have an SMA patient who years ago, uh, got behind a chair and, and did great and got her got her a chair and 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 she kind of took off from there. She was 18 months old. Yeah, that beat me. I, I would I would not I would not I would not old. be surprised. I, yeah. I remember getting my first uh, my first power chair. I was a freshman in high school. And I remember my father would take me up to the mall and I would spend all day just rolling around by myself. Because I never had that ability to do it. So imagine yeah. what these kids are going through. They're not going to have to wait to at least be mobile to where they're not stuck in a corner or dependent on somebody to push them around. So 18 yeah. months, while it sounds surprising, really isn't. Well, I was. I, I thought my PT was crazy. And, and that was the last time I thought she was, you know, who I'm talking about probably Kevin, the, the PT. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but huge advocate for our patients and, and said, no, she can do it. Let's do it. And parents were okay with it. And like you said, it wasn't an eight mile an hour chair. I don't think, yeah. but, well, no. um, now, but pretty, I will pretty... tell you that my old house, when I got my new chair, that house had some war wounds. I mean, there were some <laughs> doors that were, that really yeah. were not meant to be bifold doors, but after I hit them a few times, they were, <laughs> but uh, it, it definitely takes a lot of practice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, indeed. Well, this was fun. I, yeah, this was um, great. Oh, yeah. I hope it was no. helpful. Yeah. Oh, huge. No, we really appreciate your perspective. And oh, this is a little reunion for us. So I'll definitely come yeah. by the office sometime. Right. Yeah, and yeah. tell your folks hi. Oh, will do. Absolutely. And, well, um, and be good to be good to Dr. Katz. Oh, I will. Oh no, I, I'm sure she'll be great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, actually, give her a real hard time at first, and then at first, and then yeah, 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 yeah. Say, Doc Smith been bad mouthing you, and 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 I want to give you a chance, but it's all been uh, negative. Yeah, it's me. on that. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, we'll start that way. <laughs> see where it goes. But, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, awesome. Well. That, yeah, Michael. Well, great to meet you. Hey, Doctor Smith. Thank you. I, it's definitely been a pleasure. Great. Definitely been a pleasure. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Kevin. And also for our listeners out there, you can hear more stories and conversations like this by subscribing to the SMA News Today podcast. You can also connect with us directly on social media and our forums and follow smanewstoday.com for all the latest SMA news and perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com and be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.